0: If you would find a perfect church, one without spot or sore, then for goodness sakes, don't join that church because it won't be perfect anymore. If you should find a perfect church where all anxiety ceases, then pass it by lest you join it and mar the masterpiece. But since no perfect church exists with perfect women and men, Let's stop looking for that perfect church, and love the church we're in. We're not going to start a series today on a perfect church. If you will take your Bible and turn to First Thessalonians chapter one, series of messages through the book of First um, Thessalonians entitled "The Model Church," the model church. Now I'm going to confess to those who are long-termers here: nine years ago. We preach this a series, and that's not going to be these messages, but it's a series through Thessalonians. We talk about the model church. I sense in my spirit that it's time to to relook through this letter that Paul wrote, and has been called many times. The church at Thessalonica has been called many times the model church. Now, what do you think of when you think of a model? Teenage girls, a lot of times, think of that girl on the front of a cover of a magazine. May I just tell you? And you then go to your mirror and you go, well, I don't look that good. Let me tell you, they don't either. I've seen some of those models in person. Everybody can look that good when you have an airbrush and paint. Can I get an amen? They just are, those models are just that's all they are—just are models. They'll break. In fact, if you—they uh, move their face. Never mind. Don't go there. Anyway, but there's another model. It is a model that is kind of a demonstration. Brandon's up in the in the in the tech uh, booth, and he uh, he's an engineer. And those of us who've had archi- seen architects when they draw a master plan, a lot of times they will design to scale a model, and that model is something like that. The project is supposed to look like when it, when it is completed. In First Baptist Church, Biloxi, Mississippi, they had to relocate. And when they did, in their vestibule, they may still have it there, they have a model of their project when they get it all done. And that's kind of what they're shooting for building-wise. When I think of the, of the model church, I, I think of us, maybe getting before us from Scripture, something to ascribe for. Something to look for, you know. When I think of models, I'm gonna just tell you what I think of, and I don't have one with me. But I think of a key. I think of a key. By the way, I have a ring of keys in my satchel over in the office. It's got a, um, it's got several keys on it, and it has an automated opener and closer. I've had it for seven months. Let the word go out. If nobody's lost one and nobody claims it, then next week it's going in the trash. Hello? seven months. And I, and some of you are smarter than me and you go, Brother Jeff, why don't you just walk around the parking lot and see whose trunk opens? I have done that. So uh, uh, anyway, you know that key. You know, you get a new lock and when you get a new lock, when Brother Kevin uh, uh, puts a new lock or one of you men put a new lock on your house or a locksman comes put a new lock on your house, Brother James puts a new lock. In that Package comes what we call master keys. These are the keys cut by machines just for that lock, and they work great. And then you copy them, and they still work great. Then you copy the copy, and it works great. Then you copy the copy of the copy, and then it works okay, and then you copy, 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 copy. And once about the 14th or 15th generation out there, it looks the same. It's the same make, but you stick that key in there, and it don't work there are micro-changes that have gone on to where that key now will not work without some, uh, some help. I mention that because it seems to me that that's the church of the 21st century. It seems to me, as I read in Scripture, that, you know, last week Lawrence said, it looked like us, smell like us, act like us, but somehow it wasn't us. You understand what I'm saying? Is that we look like the church of the 21st, of the first century, we, we act like it, and, and yet many times over the years we have made those small, minute changes that now all of a sudden we're not doing what they did. We're not accomplishing what they accomplished. I mean, think about it. Twelve ragtag Christians that we call the disciples swelled into approximately 100 ragtag Christians at Pentecost, and those ragtag Christians, just 120 of them, no buildings, no resources, no real instruments like this. Just a faith in Christ, and they turn the world upside down. That's the mission of the church. Have you ever thought about yourself in this context in Hewitt Alabama, as a missionary of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, that's what the church is. We're the outpost. We're we're the voice. We're the hope. Jesus died for the church. He established the church. He commissioned the church. And he he invested his life in the church. And he's called us to make disciples. He's called us to, to take those disciples and engage them in mission and ministry. And I submit to you, over the years, The reason that so many churches have plateaued, not reaching anybody, or they are dying, or the only people they are reaching are people who come from other churches, is because that subtle changes have been made in the life of a church, in the life of a Christ follower. Subtle changes have been made that... All of a sudden, we see our purpose different than what our Lord's seen it, than what the Apostle Paul. I'm not talking about major changes. I'm not talking about uh, uh, doctrinal changes. I'm talking about we have we have we have made purpose changes. Oh, we still believe the Bible. But do we really believe that versus says you're going to be my witnesses? Not because you're a preacher, not because you're a staff person, not because you're a musician, not just because you're a Sunday school teacher. You're going to be my witnesses because I saved you. And all I want you to witness to is what I've done for you. You know, the changes that we've made are not changes like change of time. I've heard this story a dozen times not from Brother Terry over time, it's been for several people, that when this building, for those that don't know, years ago, they had a fire in this building, had to move out for a while, changed the time to accommodate another meeting facility, and when they came back here, they decided to keep the time schedule we have now. And somebody actually walked in the office and said, we can't have Sunday school at 9, It's unbiblical. You do realize there's not a, first of all, there's not really a Sunday school mentioned in the Bible. Second of all, certainly not a time. And most of you think, well, we used to be at 9, 45, and 11. And Do you remember what that was about? That was about back at the turn of the 19th, 20th century that most of America was ruled. The pastor arrived at the church about daylight every morning. And he would get to the building and somewhere in the back of the building, teenagers, y'all have never seen this, there was a rope. And that rope went up to a bell tower. How many of you remember this? Only those 100 years old and old. oh I'm teasing. And he would pull that bell somewhere around dawn, and that reminded all the farmers that today was church, that they needed to get on up, get their cows milked, livestock fed. They needed to get their wagons hitched up. And the earliest they could make it, because you didn't travel at 60 mile an hour. You traveled at 2 or 3 mile an hour, if you were lucky, in their wagon. And on the way to church, the wheel would break, and so you get out, and other guys come along, and you didn't have a jack. It was manpower, all the manpower you could muster. you get it fixed up. And the earliest people found they could get there was 945, and we think that made it a doctrine today. Hello? 11 o'clock worship. Anyway, be that as it may, that's, that's neither here nor there. But we make those changes. The, the, the changes that I'm talking about are not just changes in time. I'm talking about changes of our purpose, of our philosophy, of what we do. And so it seems to me that today we're going to begin a journey about the model church. I don't know about you, but I'd love for us to be the model church. I'd love for when people thought about Hueytown, Alabama, that they would think, you know, the church that bears the name of that city, that's the church we want to be like. And compare that to two leadership team meetings in two weeks as we're trying to look forward to what God's going to do. And one of the big desires of the leadership team is this. I'm going to quote Rod. Rod said, I'd love to talk to somebody in this town about this church and the Lord and for them to go, oh, I know where that church is. He said, most of the time I talk to them, they go, now, where is that church? And I don't pick it on Rod because that's something that I struggle with. And they go, now, where are y'all located? And I go, well, we've only been there almost 45 years. You see, I want us to be, my heart is for us to be the model church. And why did I land on Thessalonians? Because a lot of people have called the church at Thessalonica the model church. But I quote one scholar, many of you used to have those Schofield Bibles. Dr. C.I. Schofield, when he edited his Bible, if you look in his little notes, it's not inspired. But in his little notes, he viewed this church as the model church who were filled with model servants, who were filled with model brothers, who were living the model life and walking the model way. So it's against that backdrop that what I want us to do is I want us to look today at only three verses. There are many ingredients that go into making a model church. You will not get all the answers in one service. In fact, I will just tell you what I challenged our leadership team with on Thursday night. Some of you are going to be offended. That's fine. As long as the church announces and has public worship, 10 in the morning, 6 at night, 6.30 on Wednesday night, leaders do not have the option to pick and choose what they support. Leaders, members, those who are part of the team, have to make a commitment to everything the church thinks important. That's the first step. So, against that backdrop, let's Let's uh, uh, read our text, verses 1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians, the model church. Today we begin with the foundation, if you will and can. We're only going to read three verses. Stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica, and here's what he says. Paul, Savannah, which is Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll take our moments together and that you will impart on us those things that we need to hear from you today. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Give us eyes to see and hearts to feel, voices to speak as we respond to your calling on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You see on the far left-hand side, the foundation. What is the foundation of the church? Well, we've read these verses, and you think, well, you're only going to preach on three verses. Well, I can just tell you, verses 1 and 2 is another sermon, and we're not going to spend much time on it. If I were to outline verses 1 and 2, I'd, I'd, I'd outline it. Parents, precedents, and prayers The parents, Paul, Silas. And Timothy, may I just say this to you? People who have gone before us, people who have started the church, people people who have invested are the parents who invest DNA in this church. Now, how does that affect us today? From students to young adults to old adults, we're the parents now. We cannot do anything about days that are behind. Paul said, forget the things that are behind, look forward. We become the parents We now are the ones that cast the DNA. Then you look here at the precedence. He he says to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus, the truth is is that what the parents... imparted to the church. What we have to impart is that we are a church in Hueytown, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. There is no other reason for us to exist. Yes, we may have some social things that we do together, but that's not the reason we exist. The reason we exist is to bring the only message that nobody else in the world has, the message that Jesus says. We, we are here in this town to lift people from hell and put them on a course to heaven that they can serve. And one day we'll hear a well done. That is our task. Our parents, the precedent. We need to set the precedent that that's top. That is number one in everything that we do. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they were saved. They were secured and they were set apart. We're saved, hopefully, every Leader of this congregation, I hope, has had that relationship with Jesus. If you've not, before this day is over, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to Christ, to let Him save your soul, to let Him change your life, to let Him take you from a path that's sure to go to hell to a place that's going to heaven. That's what a model church is all about. That's the precedent we set. And then you see not only the parents, of the precedent. Then you see the prayers. And you look down in verse 2 and you see that He's remembering all of you always... And he's praying grace and peace. He's praying help. He's praying hope. For you see, folks, the reason that the Thessalonians needed grace and peace were that they were in a church in some struggle. You want to know about the struggle of uh, the church of Thessalonica? Go back to Acts 17. They drug them out in the streets. It says, the men and not a few leading women. The women really didn't like it. You see, they were in trouble, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy prayed, grace and peace. Folks, I hope you're wearing, I hope you've not taken lightly this thing of these prayer hands. If you do not have a set of prayer hands, we have some left. I don't know how many we have left. We'd love to give you one if you don't have one. If you have one, please don't keep laying on your dresser. Please Pray when you see it. Please put it on your garment so others can see it. This is an encouragement for people to pray. If we're going to do something of a supernatural basis here, it's going to be born in prayer. It's not going to be born because we figured out that we could do it like Valley Creek or Pleasant Ridge or Hunter Street or Gardendale. It's going to be because it was birthed in prayer. What we do is the bar is set by how much we pray. I want to say that again. We set the bar for what we do, for how much we pray. I'm going to say it one more time. It had not gotten into your head yet. We set the bar for what we do, by how much we pray. And that would have been a good place for an amen. You see, if we're not praying, nothing of eternal nature is going to happen. When I read this, and I'm going to try to get to, gosh, where would the time go? When I read this, one of the things that I note quickly, please listen, is that this church was not a church given to spiritual stagnation. They were a church given to spiritual progression. They were marching toward the cross. They were marching toward heaven. They were doing things that nobody had really done. And I find three things there in verse 3 that we're going to just run around just for a second. Men, ladies, do you remember those three-legged stools? How many of you remember a three-legged stool? One I said on his four. How many of you remember a three-legged stool? Yeah, you're telling your age. And he'd and get one of those legs a little shorter. Would it set steady? Nah. One of those legs break, it wouldn't even stand up. And I'm telling you that that three-legged stool is the perfect picture of what we need to consider today as we look at first three and see three parts, three parts. Uh, uh, three legs, three pillars that will help us become the model church. It did the church of Thessalonians, and I'm going to use the NIV verbiage here, and it's going to come directly from the Bible. Brandon, we remember, therefore, we remember before our God and Father, your the first thing they had, as is expressed by in the New International Version, was your work produced by faith. Now it says work of faith in almost all of the translations. I like this particular translation because each of those four words means something. Are y'all listening? Work means an action. It means something you do. It's a deed. It's like a job. It's serious. Anybody here, don't take your job serious if you have a job? I mean, you show up for work. You do what you're supposed to because at the end of the day, you want to get paid. But watch this. A work that is produced. There is something that is producing this work in us. That by is pointing to the word by is pointing to what's producing it in us. Work produced by faith. Now, did you get that? No other organization is built on faith like we are the nuts and bolts of a model church of a life. It's not about money. It's not about status. It's not about popularity. It's not about convenience. It's not about being comfortable. It is about faith. There is a task to do, a task to complete. There is a right motivation for doing it. So let's just quickly think about faith, the greatest work of faith that you and I know anything about. It's when we get saved. The greatest work of faith is when we get saved. We don't do it ourselves. All we do is express faith. The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through, say it with me, faith. Try that again. You're asleep. Are you too warm and nodding off? For by grace you have been saved through faith. The greatest work that can happen in your life is a work of faith that changes your life. You see, Jesus comes into, a, into your heart through the person of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit comes to your heart, like in Acts chapter 2, it says you're cut in your heart. Think about it this way. God does not come into your life and lead you like you are. You see, here's what we know about ourselves. We know that we're sinners. <laughs> We know that we fail. We know that we don't live up to the principles that God gives us in His Word. The Bible says you're all sinners, none righteous, everyone. The Bible says that the wages of payment or the compensation for sin is death, both physical death, as happened to Adam and Eve, and eternal death. And is it, only, it is only through the person of Jesus Christ who left heaven and came to earth, god man. He came down, and he was the only one that lived a perfect life. And then he died the death of a sinner to pay the price for my sin, to pay the price for your sin. He wants to come into your life and change your life. But you know what? Like it or not, theologians will say, well, God's going to save whoever he's going to save and don't worry about it. Well, that's not really the case. Certainly God does to save He has the power, but for whatever reason, he gave us a choice. We can turn and walk away like the rich young ruler did. Or we can come and bow before him like Isaiah did. We bow before Him. He will wash us with His love and wash us with His blood. He will cleanse us from our sin, but He won't leave us like we are. Are y'all listening? He won't leave us like we are. He will take that old sinful heart and He'll put a new heart in its place. It's called a heart transplant. Habits and lifestyles that Have been a part of your past. Now all of a sudden they'll be gone. You won't be comfortable with them anymore because by faith you've been saved. But listen, there are many who are in this room saying, Oh, Brother Jerry, that's a great message. I love to hear you talk like that because I got that settled years ago. But let's let's go to the second part, the faith. Genuine faith is a faith that is demonstrated by W-O-R-K. That's okay, Brandon. We'll just leave that there. But by work. By work. You see... You see, the truth is, faith, a saving faith, is a faith that works. Can I say that again? A saving faith is a faith that works. In fact, if you say, Brother Jerry, I don't think I believe that. I kind of like my faith. I come to church, I sit on the pew, and I don't work, and I'm saved. Really? Really? you sticking with that? As Amanda says, how's that going to work for you when you face the Lord? Because look at what his Bible says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save it? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, If it does not have works, is dead. Now, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was it not... Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messenger's And sent them out by another way. Here's his summary statement. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead. Now, does everybody know what that means? Does everybody know when your body doesn't have the Spirit anymore and you're dead and you're not breathing? You don't feel anything? Ask Wendell. Ask Lynn. They work at the funeral home. They work with those bodies. Watch this. As the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also... Faith apart from works is dead. So you know what his summary statement is? You say you have faith, but if you don't have any works to back it up, chances are you're probably not saved. Are you hearing that, church? If there's going to be a model church, we all have to be saved and under his grace. Now, don't you walk out of here and say something Brother Jerry didn't say. Don't you go and tell people, Brother Jerry said you've got to work your way into heaven. It's not what I said. You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. You don't work to get salvation. When you get salvation, you just automatically want to work because all of a sudden you realize, I was on my way to hell and except for the grace of God through Jesus, I would be going there. And brothers, I have a brother. I have a friend. I have Don. He's my friend. He doesn't know Jesus and he's going to wind up in the place that I was headed if he doesn't meet Jesus. Now, all of a sudden we get concerned. Folks, we're trying to re- reinvigorate, revitalize, reinvent, restart our Sunday school process. Last week, our, um, Lawrence Phipps mentioned Arthur Flake. Now, for those who don't want to get any newfangled stuff in this church, let me just tell you, Arthur Flake did a lot of his work in the 20s and 30s and so. He tells us about Sunday school. He tells, he tells us to know our possibilities, and we're talking about what our possibilities are. He tells us... To, uh, enlist leaders. He tells us to enlarge the organization. That means if we're going to run more, we're going to need more units. Talked to one class this morning, had 27 in it. It's getting time for us to have a couple of, two or three teaching units in that class. Enlarge the organization. Provide, number four, provide space. We have plenty of space. We have empty rooms. And number five, go get People, folks, we are gearing up for growth. I hope you will be a part. I hope you will not say, I'm not going to do that. We've never done it that way before. Well, listen, let me just tell you something. What we are doing has not worked. You keep doing the same thing. You'll keep getting what you've always gotten, being what you've always been. I've told you this for nine years. The definition of insanity is doing what you've always done and expecting a different result. You see, this work produced by faith because we've been saved, because they were saved, they were out sharing the gospel. You're going to hear about that tonight if you come back. Work produced by faith. I know i got to get on. Time's gone. But that work produced by faith is the first thing he was thankful for. The second thing Paul was thankful for was their labor produced by or prompted by love. You do understand there's a difference in work and labor. Work means you're doing something. It's a deed, it's an action, it's a job. Labor, on the other hand, means that you have worked to the point of exhaustion. I was thinking about how to illustrate this. The ladies are a great illustration of laboring to the point of exhaustion. When a woman carries a child nine months. And then all of a sudden that pain hits. And Michael, as a father of a couple and what what does she call that pain? Labor. She calls that labor. In fact, you know, I've watched my wife go through two childbirths And the only reason I believe that our ladies, of course, we do know that this pain in childbirth was the curse in the garden. That's another message for another time. But the reason that the ladies can go through this excruciating pain is the fact that they know when it's over, they have this wonderful, beautiful baby. Now, I see some parents smiling. I understand that child may be a knucklehead for a while. But it's still a wonderful, beautiful baby. And the reason you can go through that is because you see what's on the other side. I would call that a labor of love. You see, that's, what, that's what's being talked about here. But it's not just that. How about, how about, if you want to talk about a labor of love, not just the ladies having a baby. How about that grandmother who has arthritis in her hands? And she has this grandchild that's sick. But through the pain, she knits a quilt for that grandchild. Or how about the dad that comes in bone-tired, worked hard, and it's time to go to ball practice and coach his son in ball practice. Oh, labor of love. You see, the truth is, some people want to think that in God's work, there is no labor. I want to say that again. We've had it so good for so long. I think there is no labor. We're just supposed to let it happen. Well, the problem with that is, is that it just doesn't square. square. Let me share with you what the Scripture says. Some of Paul and some somebody else. 1 Corinthians 3.8 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. Then we move to the 15th chapter that says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Then we can move to Philippians. It says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. How about Ephesians? Paul, excuse me, Colossians are still Paul writing. For this I, there's a, there's a term, this time instead of labor, it's toil. Struggling with all his enemies, that uh, energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, how about Timothy? For this end, here it is again, we toil. And strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And how about over in Revelation where it ends? This is the one that's the killer. If you think there's not supposed to be any labor, any hard work in the kingdom of God, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit that they may rest from their, say it with me, labors, for their deeds follow them. Now, did you get that last part? Whether you labor or not, your deeds follow us. Some of us expect to get it well done without doing well. You see, the truth is, why in the world, Would our Lord rest us from our labors if we're not going to labor? You see, many of us have a labor of love in our lives. It's our vocation. It's our family. It's our club. It's our sports. Some kind of civic response. We have this labor of love that we give ourselves to. But the model church labors because of their love for him. I wonder, could it be that there's someone here in this room as a part of this congregation? Could it be that we, you, I, have become like the church at Ephesus You can read it this afternoon, Revelation 2, but I have something against you. Church of Ephesus, so said Jesus. You've lost or left or abandoned your first love. And when you abandon it, lose it, or or have lost it, the truth is, is that something else has taken the place. And then you begin to break the first commandment. Could the reason be that the laborers are so few and hard to find, as said by Jesus, is because... Because I'm an abandonment of first love. You see, the model church, love abounds. Remember this chorus? Would you sing this with me? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. We love that little chorus, but do we love what it says? Do we love the one that it speaks about? Do we love them enough that we're prompted, that we're prompted to share His Word? We're talking about changing about how we enroll people in Sunday school. Lawrence talked about open enrollment. I saw the I saw because I've seen it before, eyebrows going into hairlines. If they don't come here, they got to come three times. Well, let me just ask you a question. I understand that tradition. was raised in that tradition, but suppose that you went out, I'm committed. I'm going to do my best to enroll two people this week in the faith writers class. Can I ask you this question? I go out and enroll them. They don't know anything about the church. And those faith writers uh, group, they go and they begin to develop them. And they begin to come and they get saved. Even one of them gets saved. Is that worth the effort? Is that worth putting them on roll? Not as a church, but as a Sunday school. Is that not really what Sunday school is supposed to be about? Bringing people in. Model church, I know I'm long, I'm sorry, work produced by faith, labor prompted by love. And the third thing that you see here, he says patience of hope, and I'm going to say your patience inspired, excuse me, your endurance inspired by hope. You know, the church needs, a model church needs patience and endurance. But I want to say this to you. If nobody's ever said it to you or you're listening, I'm going to give you some help here. Do not ever pray, God, I want patience. You know, most of us say, God, I want patience, and I want it now. It's kind of like the guy said, Lord, make me humble. And they awarded him with the most humble in the church, and they gave him a button. said most humble. Kathy, they took it away from him because he wore it for the next three weeks. Most humble. You see, the truth is, if you pray for patience, watch this. God's not going to give you patience. He's going to give you struggle to develop your patience. If you want to know how that works, go to James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, and begin reading. You see, you learn through the struggle. Watch this. They have, the model church has endurance that is inspired, that is brought to by. Why? Because of the hope that they have. That blessed hope is not the possibility. That hope that we have is the hope that's found in Jesus. It is the one that we know. He is our hope, He is our future. He secured us, He saved us. And he, one day he's coming back to get us. And when he comes back to get us, are we going to be ready? We here, Here's the hope. If we stay the course, we live for him, we serve him, we walk with him, bring people to him, one day it will be worth it all. If we will do that. Do you remember that song? <clears throat> Young people don't. You never heard it. Old people, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus' life. You've heard that? That was an older person who heard that, hadn't you? Good deal. Robert, your family always learns all those things that I don't think anybody else knows, man. You see, the church has the endurance and the patience to stay with it. Because the church don't give up at the first time. At the first sign of opposition. The model church stays the course. We keep our eyes on Him. We keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our eyes on the goal. We're focused on what He's called us to do. What He wants us to be. Where He wants us to go. And this means, listen church, this means having a vision outside of our building. This means having a, a, a vision for those who are yet to come. Those who are yet to reach, Lawrence called us to look outside of ourselves and look at the fields. I wonder who else said that. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. We, we're here to be reaching and touching people and our mission and our mandate and our motivation is as we go, reach the lost, reach those who are outside of Christ. Our mission and our motto and our motivation should be, hey, I was once lost in sin. But Jesus forgave my sin. Jesus cleansed my sin. He healed my sin sick heart. He gave me a brand new start. And you know what I want to do? I want to offer that to somebody else. Because somebody else needs it. Now, how do we get to that last phrase? We remember before the Lord, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Here's how the only way you're going to do it. The only way we're going to do it. The only way we're going to be a model church is in our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to quit paying attention to so much to the scowled faces. We need to start paying attention to the glowing face that looked down from heaven and said, Come model church is one in which the work is going on because it's produced by our faith it is the one in which our labor is prompted by love the model church is one where we are patient and our patience is growing because of the hope we have we know the end of the story have you read the last chapter of the book no, okay. Have you read the last chapter of the book, The Truth is Wrong"? Revelation 22 tells us that those who are in Christ win? Win. If we're to become a model church, it is because that we will be filled with model disciples. Not perfect. It's not what we're calling it for. Not perfect. But disciples who choose to put Jesus first in their lives. How do you put Jesus first in life? Please listen. to payoff and we're done. Your schedule. Put Jesus first. Your schedule. Your finances. You know what, folks? I don't preach near enough on money. We need to be faithful. You don't need me to browbeat you every every month, every week. How about I just ask this question: If we believe that was to tithe our money, or tithe is biblical, and you give, Brother Jerry, I'm doing better than that. I'm giving twelve percent. God bless your heart. May your tribe increase. How much of your time are you giving? Oh, I'm here. Two hours on Wednesday night, okay? I get here at 8.30 on Sunday morning, and as long as you don't, as long, if you'd shut up quicker, I'd get out here earlier, but I'm here to at least 11.30, okay? Two hours, three hours, it's five hours. Brother Jerry, I'm in the choir, and I stay for evening service, okay? So you get here at 4.30, and let's say, give you the benefit of the doubt, you leave at 7.30. So i have got two, three. Two and three is five, three is eight. So, out of a week that has 163 hours, you're giving him less than half of the tithe of your time. And, Brother Jerry, that's all the time I got. Well, take it up with him, not with me. You see, if we're going to be a model church, we need to be serious about our schedule. We need to be serious about our time. We need to be serious about our work. I mean... I'm speaking to older people. That's me and all us older folks. You remember singing these songs? Heart to the shepherd's voice I hear. Out in the desert, dark and clear, calling the sheep who've gone astray. Far for the shepherd, fold away. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Or how about sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness, sowing in the noontime to do and eve. Ready for the harvest and the time of weeping, we will come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. It's all about the harvest, bringing in. We like to sing those songs, but we certainly don't like to do what those songs say. Hello? Oh, that's for somebody else. Really? I missed that passage. You see, God has called us. If we're going to be his model, if we're going to be his model, we need to do what he's called us to do. I mentioned earlier about keys. And I talked to us about how the further you get from the master key, the less effective your key works. When you get to the key that doesn't work, you know what you have to do? You either have to find somebody that's got, and I've never seen anybody like this, you have to find a locksmith that's got goggles and can make the minute changes, or you toss that away. Go back to the master key and make a new second generation key. You see, the truth is, the truth is, we must see ourselves in light of the model church. How are you? If I were to ask you in the light of a model Christian, is your progress, spiritual progress, is your spiritual journey toward him? <sighs> so I'm going to end with this question for you and for all of us, for me and all of us. How much do you trust God? How much do you believe in God? How much do you love him? And how closely Will you call him? How closely will you follow him and hear his call? He's calling you today. He's calling me. He's calling us. If there's someone here who's never invited Christ in your life, all this message has kind of been over your head, but here's your beginning point. Jesus loves you. He came to earth to die for you. And if you feel him speaking to your heart, all oh, that heaviness that you feel there, Man, I've got sin in my life, and I know my sin separates me from God. I know God's not pleased, and I need to do something about it. And you feel that, respond today. Jesus is speaking to you. But for those of us who say, well, we know the Lord. He's he's speaking to you. He's calling you to a new level of commitment. We kind of had a revival time this morning in band practice. God is calling us to something new. He's calling us to be the model, the group of people that everybody looks at. Would you be a part? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and your love. We pray that you will bless us. We pray that you will call us. We pray that you will use us. We pray that we will be your people, your mouthpiece, your outpost in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.